If you were to name the most egregious sin, what would you name? The worst, worst, most unbearable of evils. If you were to identify the cause, the root cause, the beginning, and the origin of all evils and sins, how would you reply? Some have said pride, some would say selfishness or idolatry or love of money or hate. Well, for a man named Ignatius, who was born about the time Jesus died, he was an early believer and one of the great thinkers of the early church, he said the greatest evil is the simple failure to recognize the good things and the graces and the gifts received from God. The deadliest sin, he said, is ingratitude. It is the cause, beginning, and origin of all evils and sins. You even go back to Adam and Eve and you could make a case that ingratitude was their basic sin. If you asked a hundred people to name uh, the sin that's the origin of all evils, I th- think very few would probably say ingratitude. The idea that we sin because we're not sufficiently aware of God's goodness probably would not occur to many people. The rest of this year, can you believe we have only five Sundays left after today? This year, five Sundays left. The rest of this year, we're going to talk about gifts, because we talk about gift giving, Christmas time, and we're first of all going to talk about our gifts to God, that's part one, we'll do three messages on this, and then part two, we're going to be doing God's gifts to us, and that will lead us up to and through Christmas. Today, our gift to God is gratitude, and of course, this gift of gratitude is a gift that we give ourselves as well. The text is Luke 7, if you have your Bibles want to turn to that, we'll have up on the screen too, and I wanted to entitle this today, Thankful People Do Weird Things. Do you know any weird people? Don't look at anyone, okay? Don't. <laughs> I googled the word weird and got about 477 million responses. So there's a lot of weirdness in the world. And here's a few pictures I got. Here's a guy planking, if we can get the next one, planking a McDonald's sign. I'm kind of impressed about that one. Okay, the next one, I'm not sure what that is, but uh, that does not look like it's going to have a happy ending. And then the next one is a girl blow-drying her teeth. I don't know, I've seen a lot of blow-drying weirdness. Anyway, there's a lot of weirdness in the world, and there's a lot of weird behavior in the Bible. Think about it, right at the beginning, two naked people and a talking snake. That's a little weird. A donkey that talks. One man used the jawbone of an ass, ass as a weapon, and he won. Another was swallowed by a fish and then vomited out. One guy faked insanity and then wrote a song about it, and the people made him king. Weird. Well, Luke 7 is weird behavior by someone who is thankful, not as bizarre as some of these others, but a little unconventional. So we're going to start in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. You have to read between the lines what sinful life is. Okay, As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we have a prostitute and a Pharisee, sinner and a saint. One is overwhelmingly thankful for Jesus. The other takes Jesus for granted. One has genuine gratitude. The other shows no gratitude. And the first thing I notice from this woman is she does things that are a little weird, not normal behavior. For instance, she commits a social blunder by approaching Jesus. It was okay for guests to come into the house and listen to a visiting rabbi speak, but it was not okay to interrupt them. This is rude. And she should have stayed on the sidelines, and it is especially not okay for a woman of her profession to be interrupting. She also uses her hair to wash his feet. That's a little weird because hair was a woman's crown back then. It was her pride and joy, and washing feet with hair was not normal behavior. This is an extreme act of humility on her part. Then she puts perfume on his feet, and other texts tell us that this perfume was worth 300 denarii, which was a year's salary. Now, if you consider maybe the average salary today is 50000 Can you imagine $50,000 worth of perfume on feet? And then she kisses his feet. And according to Jesus, she didn't stop kissing his feet. I don't know about you. Sounds a little weird. And when I look at it, I think the common denominator here is the word extreme. Washing feet is one thing, and that wasn't so unusual. It's an act of humility, but with your hair, that's extreme humility. One year's salary on feet, that sounds like extreme extravagance. Kissing over and over is an extreme expression of love. I think it's safe to say gratitude leads to extreme behavior. Now, I don't know if you remember when you were dating, but... uh, You were so thankful that someone was actually going to love you and did love you that you did some weird extreme things. I'm sure I I know you did. Some some of you guys wrote letters or poetry or music and you would talk for hours. You'd drive for hours to see this woman and then drive hours back. It's just weird behavior when you're so grateful. I had a friend visit a worship service of another faith group and they were a little more lively than we tend to be and one guy was doing jumping jacks during the worship service. That's not a normal worship activity and my friend found out later, this is a true story by the way, he found out that this man had been in prison, he had a horrible past, he was a real life sinner and he was so filled with joy that Jesus had died for him that he was doing jumping jacks. It is amazing what people will do when they're really grateful. Kiss feet, wash feet with hair, do jumping jacks, write poetry. There was other weird behavior. After people met Jesus, Zacchaeus paid back four times anyone he had cheated. He was a tax collector and by nature a a cheater. He gave back four times and then he gave 50% of all his income from then on. That's not normal. A guy named Barnabas in the book of Acts sold property to help the poor. Many did the same thing. We would say that's crazy. Acts is full of weird behavior. When you read through the book, the trait that jumps out is their overwhelming joy because of extreme gratitude, an overwhelming sense of God's grace in their lives. It just leads to some extreme behavior. And that needs to be us because we have received so much and that we are so grateful that we'll do weird things. So 
we're going to do that this morning. I want you to stand up right now. And I want us to do jumping jacks. <laughs> Out of gratitude to Jesus. You ready? Here we go. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay, that's, that's enough. That's enough. You may be seated. <laughs> first, first service had a lot of fun with that one, I'll tell you. It was great. Thank you, Jesus. The word thankful does not appear in this text, nor does the word gratitude, probably because there was no Aramaic term for either of those words, and they spoke in Aramaic. So the word they used instead is in verse 47. Jesus said, as her great love has shown. Great love. Here's the second thing on your outline. There's a close link between gratitude and love. One of the best ways to develop a relationship with Jesus is just be grateful to him. One of the best ways to restore a relationship with another person, just be grateful. And love will tend to grow. Instead of thinking of what you don't have, you think of what you do have. You know, my husband's not very romantic. He doesn't send flowers, but he'll change the baby's diaper, and I know he cares for me, and I'm grateful for that. My wife's not the best at handling money, but she's a great mom, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that lady behind me in church that sings loud and off-key because she's honoring God. Don't turn around. I'm grateful for all the complaining about government because that means I have freedom of speech. I'm grateful for the taxes I pay because that means I'm employed. This woman loved much, was grateful for the forgiveness of her debt. There's a preacher who was visiting in Uganda, Africa, a few years ago. And I told this once years ago, so some of you might remember this. But every Sunday evening, about 100 Christians would gather to worship. And they were under this tin lean-to roof. I mean, just very, very rustic. On the edge of a cornfield, they sat on wooden benches and dirt floor. Musical instruments were old. Some of the guitars didn't have all their strings. But man, did they worship. And the visiting preacher said there was one guy with them who was a real stiff-necked, buttoned-down, proper man who liked his worship orderly and stayed and proper. But even he couldn't stand still. And he was jumping and yelling and clapping and shouting out hallelujahs. And this particular Sunday evening, the leader asked if anyone had anything to share. And so a tall, willowy woman came to the front and said, Oh, brothers and sisters, I love Jesus so much. And the other worshipers encourage her, tell us, tell us, sister, tell us. And Oh, I love him so much. I don't know where to begin to tell you how good he is. Well, begin there, sister, begin there. And they encourage her, oh, he is so good to me, and I praise him all the time for how good he is to me. For three months, I prayed to the Lord for shoes. I prayed for shoes. And look, and she cocked up her leg, and you could see one very ordinary shoe on her foot, He gave me shoes. Hallelujah. He is so good. And the Ugandans clapped and yelled and shouted back, Hallelujah. A little weird. And the American preacher said, I didn't shout hallelujah. I was devastated. In all my life, I'd not once prayed for shoes. And in all my life, I'd not once thanked God for the many shoes I have. After I read that, I went home and I counted how many shoes I have. I have 12 pair of shoes. Three pair of tennis shoes. And I'm not a shoeholic, I don't think. When's the last time you thank God for shoes? Great worship, great love, flows out of great gratitude. Those Ugandans didn't have an organ, they didn't have a piano, no air conditioning, no padded pews, no worship minister to plan things out, but they had great worship. And if you want to develop a love relationship with God and great worship, it starts here with gratitude. Hebrews 12 says, Watch out that no bitterness take root among you. If you lack gratitude, bitterness will get in there. And Satan 
has a hard time getting into a grateful heart, so he'll try to make you bitter in some way. Grateful people are hard to make angry, and you can't make thankful people bitter. They're not greedy. They're not arrogant. They find it harder to complain. Grateful people are more content, and it's just hard for Satan to get into a grateful person. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, no matter what happens, always be thankful. When Paul wrote to the churches, some of them were pretty bad, just to be honest, and yet he would always start off saying, I thank God for you. I thank God always for you. Thankfulness will enrich your relationship to God. It will enrich your relationship to others. It will protect you from the evil one. It is the way to love. But here's another thing. Gratitude is harder when you are blessed more. Simon the Pharisee should be overwhelmingly grateful. He's got everything. He's got God. He's a good person. He's respected. He's well off. Much like many of you, and one of the great ironies of life, the more we have, the less grateful we tend to be. A Ugandan woman is a hundred times more grateful for one pair of shoes than I am for 12. David Brooks, in his book, The Structure of Gratitude, says, I'm sometimes grumpier when I stay at a nice hotel. I have certain expectations about the service that's going to be provided, and I get impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet, if the shower controls are unfathomable, if the place considers itself too fancy to put a coffee machine in each room. I'm sometimes happier at a budget motel where my expectations are lower and where a functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. See, gratitude happens when the kindness exceeds our expectations, when it's something undeserved. Some surprising kindness. And if you look around, it doesn't take long for you to see all kinds of signs of God's grace. I mean, look at your own body, how amazingly efficient your body is. Ah, yeah, you got some problems, but it's amazing. Your house, your family, your grandkids, and uh, sometimes your kids, you're grateful for them too, I know. Uh, when we had kids, we had three cars sitting in our, par- in our driveway. And I, I used to think it was a sin for a Christian to have three cars. You're saved for eternity. You have a great church family. I get to preach God's word to you, and you sit there and listen to it. Wow. You Sunday school teachers and you sponsors, you have an unbelievable role in the mission of God. You have a part of influencing people for Christ and speaking on God's behalf. You worship personnel, do you have any idea of the privilege? And the weird thing, when you start losing some of these things, you lose your health, Body starts to fail you, you lose a loved one. That's often when you realize how precious those things are. The most grateful year of my life, actually 13 months, and this is going to sound weird, but the, she would concur, concur with this. We talked about it. The most grateful time of my life was the year my wife was dying of cancer, those 13 months. Because when you lose something precious, you start thinking about what you do have and what you did have. And what you have to be grateful for. And it's hard to explain. The depth of grief is very deep, but the depth of gratitude is deep as well. Just a general principle. When you have more, you'll tend to be grateful less. St. Francis de Sales divided people into two categories, immature and mature. The immature are unhappy with what they don't have, and the mature are happy with what they do have. Now, another thing in this story in Luke 7, the woman never says, thank you to Jesus. She never says anything, in fact. She doesn't say any words. It's just Jesus and Simon that talk. So she doesn't express anything verbally. How do we know she's thankful? Well, obviously, it's by what she does. 
The majority of the active verbs are what she does. She brought, she stood, she wet his feet, she wiped, she kissed, she poured. She doesn't say a word, but her actions say it all. That's number four. Gratitude will move us to do concrete acts of worship, service, and giving. Thanksgiving is not just about a feeling, okay? It's not just about saying thankful stuff. It is about actually doing something. It's not about a prayer before a big meal. It's works. She's doing. And you can see the gratitude. Simon, on the other hand, he's passive, sitting there and being critical. And Jesus says, Simon, you did not give me any water. You did not give me a kiss. You did not put it all on my head. You didn't do anything. You just sat and griped. Your talk was critical. And even though Jesus was a guest in Simon's house, it was his responsibility, Simon's responsibility to extend hospitality. But here's the sinner who extends hospitality. She's doing what Simon should have done. So this Thanksgiving season, I would ask, what will you do? I don't want to hear what you say. I don't want to see on Facebook all the things you're thankful for. And that's fine and all that. But what will you do? Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my Father. So if we say, thank you, God, and then go off live our own lives, that's not gratitude. Are we Simon the sitter? Sit and criticize? Or the woman? True gratitude That does something. Many of you did Operation Christmas Child. Many of you will do Angel Tree. Some of you do teaching, helping with kids and volunteering. And if you want to change perspective, if you want to change your attitude, go with a thankful route. There's one other thing about this woman. That's the source of her gratitude. A thankful heart comes from a forgiven heart. The reason she is so grateful, she, she has had much forgiveness. She knows, I'm a big sinner. Her weeping is probably two types of tears. Tears of sorrow for her sin and tears of joy for forgiveness. And the reason Simon is little thank gratitude, if any, he sees himself as a little sinner. He doesn't have any sorrow. There's no repentance, no tears, no gratitude for forgiveness, but there's no joy either. He's apathetic, dry existence. And this is the big question today. This is the big question. If you missed everything, this is it. Are you a big sinner or a little sinner? Who's the biggest sinner in Mount Pulaski? I was debating between Tim Dybert and Mike Tui, but I couldn't decide which one. <laughs> uh, just kidding, just kidding. Are you a si- big sinner or a little sinner? Ask the person next to you, are you a big sinner? No, you don't have to do that. I hope you're a big sinner. Because then you'll understand Grace. And then you'll honestly say, I am really grateful. I am, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, because Paul knew Paul. And I would say, I am the biggest sinner in Mount Pulaski, because I know Mark Weber. And Jesus is here saying, this whole text, your love may not be great, because you have not appreciated the depth of the forgiveness of God that's been made available to you. So that's the question this morning. You little sinner or big sinner? Saintly Simon? Or sinful woman? Little gratitude, big gratitude. You're going to do gratitude or you're going to sit and criticize? Be weird. Be thankful. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot even begin to express what you mean to us and how much we owe you. We cannot begin to fathom the depth of the sin that is in our own lives. Even though we all consider ourselves maybe pretty good people, uh, deep down, there's a part of us that is black. And Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have in him. Thank you for the life we have in him. Thank you for every blessing we've received.
And may we not just say it and feel it, may we do it and live lives of thanksgiving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.